how to actually source help in a way that's useful, Emotional right? Emotional resonance. Yes. You feel like I do. Yes. I feel like you do. That makes us human. Yes. Fuck the president. Excuse yeah, me. I, I don't even wish that upon his wives. Well, I'm, I'm uh, gonna, <laughs> get, get, get this one. You know what? That poor sad is going to like snap a little closer. real soon. A little closer to the mic. He's going to snap his radish real soon. It's very possible. I want to ask insane people, was that a big radish or a small radish you snapped? Mm. And that well, part we're about to find it. out. So. <laughs> no doubt about it, man. I'll bet money on it. I see <laughs> you're reading the book about rats over there. there yes, go. I am. Yeah, rats. It's like somebody just gave me that. I saw that, yeah. yeah. Well, Danny, rats, I'm going to be switching over to... Um,
Hello, and welcome to the Weekly Review. This is Roman. It's Friday, July 14th, 2017. Getting a lot of sound here, which is good. That was a song by the band X called The New World from 1983. Thank you to J.D. Buell. J.D. Buell is the host of Morning Train, which was here at the station uh, from 10 a.m. to noon, if you'd like to check out archives of that show thank you for that suggestion jd jd has an impeccable taste in music so very much excited about playing that song oh so what's new today well a lot's new today and there's a lot to be angry about as per usual i will start off the show with a trigger warning because we are living in this world in 2017 and even i suppose before this year um started the show with a trigger warning and because people weren't really heeding to that that's kind of why we're at where we're at right now. So I think it's kind of crucial that we, we talk about that. And there's a lot to be angry about. I wasn't here last week. I'm not angry about that. It's always nice to be here and to share the news and to scream about it. And at the same time, I uh, was grateful. Had some work, which I was happy to do. And I will be discussing it at some point. It's one of these things where I can't quite talk about it at the moment. However, it was some good news. So that's great. So where do we start? Where to start? Well, there's an uptick in hate crimes. And as we know, there's been hate crimes. <laughs> this whole nation feels like a hate crime. That's the inception of it. So it's not like it's anything new. And at the same time, there has been an increase, at least in reported hate crimes. There is an interracial couple who were attacked viciously in Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn recently. And there was like a JC, there've been threats at JCCs. And it seems like nonstop, and of course the continuing assaults on trans folk, trans women, and yeah, this is, uh, in a lot of ways it's nothing new, and in a lot of ways it's also an increase. So I'm kind of skeptical as to the folks who refuse to admit that it's real, and I recognize we might disagree with how to proceed with moving forward, how do we join forces to make sure that these attacks stop. And I guess that the long-term solution is through education. In the meantime, uh, folks need to admit that this is happening. If we can't even admit that it's happening, then that's a huge problem. And there, there was a meme that was going around a while ago, and I forget the exact situation that it was about. It was pretty much there was a house on fire, and people were saying, oh, well, um, no, it's not. Or what's the big deal about this house on fire? And someone's saying, well, we kind of need to put it out. I can't explain that as well as the meme presents it. It's very much like we're in a situation, it's an emergency situation. And we can't, ad first of all, we need to address it. And many people are addressing it. There are people who are active, actively seeking how to respond to these fascists, uh, the organizing of fascists, people who are you know, Identity Europa, which is, they've been going to, I heard, 70 college campuses around the country trying to recruit for their white nationalist bullshit. People have been finding flyers so they're trying to recruit. So it's not like, oh, we'll just ignore them and they'll go away. Clearly that hasn't worked with America. Ignoring white supremacists hasn't made it, them go away. They just get elected to office and continue to infiltrate law enforcement. So we need to find something else to do to protect each other and to stand up against these folks. There's also Redneck Revolt, which is on the op opposite side. There, there are folks on the left who are arming themselves. And I have nothing negative to say about that situation. I feel like people do need to arm themselves in this. And this is where we're heading. And I'm not a proponent necessarily of guns. And at the same time, I recognize people do need to protect themselves. And this goes beyond the, there's a lot of paranoia out there. And I think it's different. It's not quite paranoia if people are actually being attacked. 
there was a brawl at Dolores Park with some skateboarders and some police. I wasn't there. All, I, all we can tell is from like the biased news reports, there's a video of a cop. And it looks like from the video, they're saying that the cop pushed the skateboarder. And I'm very much, almost always, not always, but very much looking for the side of the, not quite the victim, but the person who is pressing charges or at least telling their side of the story. Because um, a lot of times the media tends to take the side of the other people, especially the police. And it looks like there's a person skateboarding down Dolores Park, which I think looks like a fucking awesome, fun idea. I myself am not a skateboarder. I support folks skateboarding, of course. Anyway, if you're, whether or not the cop pushed this person or not, it's, I don't know why he'd be standing right in the middle of where the skateboarders were coming down. If you want to keep someone safe, you'd get out of their way. That's my understanding. If someone's coming down full speed on a hill, I wouldn't necessarily stand in front of them. That's just me, though. And that's why I'm not in law enforcement. One of the many reasons. I don't think they would. I don't think I'd be qualified. I don't think I could do that job. I don't wouldn't, wouldn't want to do that job. And maybe if more folks recognize that uh, some of the positions that were offered to people were systemically problematic, we can have more. How about more doctors, more teachers, more caregivers, more artists, other things we can do to help each other? That would be neat. Just a suggestion. I recognize a lot of these. Well, some pay okay. Some don't. And it's difficult if, you know, if I had unlimited income, I would just pay people just to do art and to be awesome and to take care of each other. That's what I would do. And the thing is, though, people do those things anyway. You don't need to get paid to be a good person. Moral of the story. Moving along, and we'll get to reading some news articles. We also have a great guest coming in today, Natasha Dennerstein. Yay! Natasha and I met a few years ago and very much looking forward to having her on the show. That's good things. Happiness all around. There are some positive things we need to remember. There's also some a lot of negative things, which is kind of how the show goes. It's By the end, I'm usually very, ugh, distraught. However, it's crucial that we talk about what's happening. Upcoming things. July 15th, this Saturday, there's a protest, an anti-Trump Pence protest. I was putting up a flyer the other day, and this guy walked by, and he was, like, complaining about Trump and Pence. Or, but it was pretty much like, uh, he, was, he was assuming that, for some reason, I only dislike Trump and Pence and no other government officials or no other presidents and i was like well i'm kind of skeptical and not a fan of the whole thing and we were able to agree on that but it was very much it felt confrontational and i was like listen uh, i'm pretty sure we're on the same side here we don't need to make this an argument so this is for a protest happening tomorrow there's a rally and a march at 2 p.m saturday july 15th at un plaza in san francisco and folks will be marching i believe down market or mission heading towards the mission on 24th street and there'll be many speakers there i may be speaking and lots of folks will be speaking. We hope that folks can come out because we really need to flood the streets and uh, show, show folks that this is what, what we need to do. We need to shut down business as usual. So check that out again tomorrow, July 15th, 2 p.m., rally in March at UN Plaza in San Francisco. They're also happening around the country. It's not just the only one. There's many other cities. This flyer doesn't seem to say what's happening in other countries, other countries, other cities, and why would it? Because it's specifically based on San Francisco. But if you look out July 15th, um, I'm actually going to do that right now so I can read to folks what other marches are happening tomorrow. Please be involved. I'm, we're all good at complaining, myself included. And at the same time, we need to take action and also recognize that a lot of people are organizing. And the least we can do is show up. So that's something that folks can do. July 15th. All right, lots of different... All right, in Chicago, they're doing it. I think Boston, L.A., New York, I'm naming cities. And these are places where they will be having some rallies. 
And I'll pull up... Yeah, so Chicago protest. I'll start off with this one. I know some folks in Chicago. And you're in Chicago. Go to the northeast corner of Michigan Avenue and Congress. And that's tomorrow starting at noon in Chicago. That's uh, from noon to 4 p.m. Chicago protest. Trump, Pence regime. Must go. Northeast corner of Michigan Avenue and Congress. All right. And there's, again, as I mentioned, happening in many other... Many, many other cities. All right. So that's some good news. People are organizing. There's also going to be another one, a resistance march happening in the Bay Area on August 5th. Also, at that same time, though, there's going to be this, I can't even deal with the fact that this is happening, a Make Men Great Again event happening in Huntington Beach, California, and that's in Southern California for folks who are unaware. And it's the, the I was sent a, uh, an a image like a, for the poster, and it's like, it's it seems like a joke in a way, and it's not a joke. And it's talking about something about masculinity. Let me pull that up so I can... I mean, I don't want to give them any more airtime. And at the same time, it's really important that we recognize what's happening and what people are doing because we need to, to stop it. If folks want to infiltrate too, I mean, they've been infiltrating us for a long time. That's mostly law enforcement. But still, if folks want to go, uh, you know, try to... I would say talk some sense into them, but at this point, I don't know what good that will do. Um, so moving along... Um, a celebration of masculinity. Now, I don't think masculinity deserves to be celebrated. I think it's incredibly problematic, and uh, or the idea of what people assume to be masculinity. When I think about typical masculinity, this push onto masculinity, it's uh, I think about wars and violence, and I don't really like that stuff. I don't find it helpful. And again, that's my own perception. Masculinity doesn't have to be that. Masculinity can be soft. Masculinity can be vulnerable. Masculinity can be strong in a way that's not fucking gross, like... I think what a lot of these folks think it is. So it it seems kind of gay. And I think gay is a good thing, but this is gay in a bad way. A gay in a, we're closeted and we don't, not, not that it's, I get that everyone's in their own timeline and not everyone comes out. It's the folks who are homophobic, I should say. That kind of, that kind of like, ugh, grossness. All right, so that's happening. And I think it's important we recognize and keep track of what's happening as these fascists organize. If we don't keep track of it, it's going to, they're going to keep on spreading and keep on spreading the propaganda, recruiting. We don't want that. That's not good. I never said this was an unbiased news show. This is my opinions, my thoughts on things. Again, I could be wrong. I doubt it. I, I keep on saying I would love to be wrong. I would love to be wrong. I would love this, you know, people not to be afraid or worried about things. I would love for things just to be okay and for me to be overly sensitive. I would, that would be wonderful. I would be so excited if that were the case, but it's not the case. It's really not. Uh, I know too many people who are experiencing attacks of, of many levels, and that's unacceptable. Read some news stories yesterday. There was... Ugh, these got me angry. A lot of things make me angry. A lot, a lot, a lot of things make me angry. And it's a lot of it's like also people in positions of power who make things worse for the rest of us. That's been a theme of the show since the very beginning. And one I'll start off with is in the Outer Richmond... There are folks who are unhappy about the idea of there being uh, more or additional or any even uh, dispensaries, medical marijuana dispensaries, coming to their neighborhood. Apparently, medicine is bad, and people have fed into the, the rhetoric of how harmful cannabis can be. And the idea is that it's, it's helpful for a lot of people. And the idea that you would somehow... Their idea is that they want to, quote-unquote, protect the kids, yet they've said nothing about bars, about liquor stores, 
Um, you know, and if you're going to go get, again, after something that you think might be harmful, first of all, you should go after capitalism and, you know, don't go after a substance. That's my opinion. I feel like all substances should be decriminalized and legal. Again, that's my opinion. Secondly, there's Jeff Sheehy, who is the supervisor in the Castro district. And he's replacing, he has replaced Scott Wiener and Scott Wiener was not helpful to a lot of us. And there was a, an article in the Castro Courier recently, and they they were not quite happy with him. They said that one of the po- quote-unquote positive things that he had done was that he called the cops when people were complaining about homeless encampments. So instead of giving people houses, he called the cops on them, and that's the last thing that needs to be done. So we're finding, yeah, quite a few things of that make... <sighs> when people in positions of power end up abusing their authority and or harming the folks who are the most marginalized, that's a, that's a really big problem. So that needs to be addressed. Um, so I'm going to start off with like another news story before we take a music break, and then we'll be joined by our guest in a little bit. Again, you can call in if you'd like. Our phone number is 415-550-0511. Call in. Tell us what you're doing to make the world a better place. Share some news. Uh, a lot of word gets spread through word of mouth because we can't really depend on the mainstream media for actual news and or um, unbiased news, or at least news that's here to to share what's really happening. The Guardian, who initially they had put together a list called The Counted, which tracked people murdered by police that happened in 2015 and 2016. They decided to not do it in 2017, and many of us were upset by this. Um, however, they are deciding to record the deaths of environmental uh, d- defenders around the world, and so I'm going to read a bit of that article. Defenders have been ki- uh, so so far. 98 environmental defenders have been killed so far in 2017 while protecting their community's land of natural resources. This year, in collaboration with Global Witness, the Guardian will attempt to record the deaths of all the all these people, whether they will be wildlife rangers in the Democratic Republic of the Congo or indigenous land rights activists in Brazil. At this current rate changes chances are that four environmental defenders will be killed this week somewhere on the planet and so so some of the latest uh to have died on killed on may 27th was carlos maz coke a fisherman who protested against lake pollution linked to mining on may 24th 10 landless activists killed during a clash with police over land occupation in brazil on May 22nd, three villagers who died opposing the use of machines for sand mining, that was in India. In Mexico, on May 20th, Miguel Angel Vasquez Torres, a leader in a Mexican indigenous community who was fighting to reclaim land from ranchers. On May 4th in Brazil, uh, Katia Martins, a land defender and president of a local workers association, was shot at her home. And they have a list here of all who have died so far in 2017. So it's a list of a lot more people. And they say, uh, most dangerous places for defenders. And since the start of 2015, 132 land and environmental defenders have died in Brazil, the highest number on Earth. Many of the killings were of people trying to combat illegal logging in the Amazon. The Philippines comes in second on the list with 75 deaths in all. Honduras remains the most dangerous country to be a defender with more killings per capita than anywhere else. And they have a map here. And you can also check this out here at theguardian.com. The pattern over recent years, the death toll has risen in recent years, and researchers warn the upward trend is likely to continue if governments and businesses fail to act. 
The most violent full year recorded so far was 2016, when 200 defenders were killed. And what's driving the violence? The short answer is industry. The most deadly industry to go up against was mining, with 33 deaths last year relating to anti-mining activities. Agribusiness, hydroelectric hydroelectric dams, and logging were also key drivers of violence, Global Witness found. Many of the killings recorded occurred in remote villages deep within mountain ranges and rainforests, with indigenous communities hardest hit. They have 33 deaths linked to mining and extractives in... 2016, logging had 23 deaths, poaching 18 deaths, agribusiness 23 deaths, water and dams 7 deaths, and then there are others as well. And so they also have a link to Global Witness, which is a site for folks to check out. So again, uh, it's important that we also talk about what's happening outside the U.S. Uh, There's, of course, a lot of violence here, and then also we need to address what's happening outside this country. I think growing up in this country, there has always been this idea of teaching very much just what what has happened here, or at least a version of it, not even what's happened here, but a version of what's happened here to try to either brainwash us and to make us not necessarily understand the history and or why we got here so we can continue to be complicit in this really undemocratic system, unjust system, and in the meantime, ignoring what's happening elsewhere, as well as the U.S.'s, the U.S. military's role elsewhere in the world. So it's crucial that we do some digging and some investigation and find out what's happening elsewhere so we can inform ourselves and inform others and make informed decisions about that. Oh, goodness gracious. So, yeah, again, that's 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 crucial that we talk about that. I do have, I will say, I will, I will share one positive story. And again, the positive stories on this show happen to be when things that are bad don't happen or when negative things are prevented from happening or things that shouldn't have happened in the first place are are blocked or at least absolved in some regard. So a while ago, there was a woman who laughed at Jeff Sessions because there's a lot of reasons to laugh at him because he's, we all know why. And recently a DC judge has tossed out the conviction of the woman who was arrested after laughing during his Senate confirmation hearing. So that's good. And again, she shouldn't have been arrested in the first place. And again, Jeff Sessions shouldn't even be in this position in the first place. So there's an article here on Huffington Post and uh, it says a, a D.C. judge has tossed out a jury's conviction of a protester who laughed during Attorney General Jeff Sessions' Senate confirmation hearing, finding on Friday that the government had improperly argued during the trial that her laughter was enough merit to, uh, to merit a guilty verdict. The judge ordered a new trial in the case, setting a court date for September 1st. Desiree Farouz, who is 61, was associated with the group Code Pink. Uh, had been convicted of disorderly and disruptive conduct and demonstrating inside the Capitol. Firuz was taken into custody during a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing in January after she laughed when Senator Richard Shelby, Republican from Alabama, claimed that Sessions had a quote-unquote clear and well-documented record of treating all Americans equally under the law. And this is the same guy who found whose biggest problem with the KKK was that he found out that they sometimes smoked pot. The Senate rejected Sessions' nomination for a federal judgeship in the 1980s over concerns about his views on race. But Chief Judge Robert E. Morin of the Superior Court of the District of Columbia tossed out the guilty verdict on Friday because the government had argued that the laugh alone was enough to warrant the verdict. Maureen said it was disconcerting that the government made the case in closing arguments that the laughter in and of itself was sufficient 
The court is concerned about the government's theory, Morin said. He said the laughter would not be sufficient to submit the case to the jury and said the government hadn't made clear before the trial that it intended to make that argument. The rookie officer who seized Ferouz had never made an arrest and had no experience securing congressional hearings. That's great. Nevertheless, prosecutors pressed forward, insisting that laughter is enough to merit criminal charges of disorderly and disruptive conduct and demonstrating inside the Capitol. She was convicted in May. Ferouz's attorney had argued that she had the right to object to her arrest as she was being taken out of the room and that a conviction based upon her conduct after the initial laugh could not stand. Attorney Sam Bogosh asked the judge to toss out the jury verdict. The jury, Bogosh wrote, was not reasonable in its evaluation of the evidence. Ms. Ferruz's brief reflexive burst of noise, be it laughter or an audible gasp, clearly cannot sustain a conviction for either of the courts in the information, Bogosh wrote in a court filing. So the only other basis for her conviction to anything are her statements after the U.S. Capitol Police arrested her for that laughing. Those statements merely expressed surprise at being arrested. Well, some of Feyruz's statements as she was being arrested, like, why am I being taken out of here? Objected to her treatment. Others, like, this man is evil, pure evil, was more political in nature and perhaps more likely to support a conviction. Kimberly Paschal, an attorney for the government, argued during a court hearing on Friday that Ms. Feyruz was not merely responding to her arrest. She wasn't just merely responding, she was voicing an opinion. Paschal said, yeah, because God forbid we have opinions. The government argued that the jury's guilty verdict should be upheld. Paschal had argued in court uh, filings that the government had presented evidence that the defendant engaged in disorderly or disruptive conduct when she loudly laughed at Senator Shelby's comments. Jurors could reasonably infer that the laugh was a deliberate disruption and intentional, Paschal wrote. The government also focused on Feyruz's conduct after the officer tried to take her into custody. She did not merely laugh. Paschal wrote, Just as a defendant cannot resist arrest when the arrest is unlawful, a defendant should not be able to disrupt a hearing before Congress based on her opinion that police action was unlawful. When Judge Morin said in court on Friday, no one no one know the basis of the jury's conviction, Paschal tried to bring up interviews that HuffPost had conducted with the jurors after the meeting, in which they said they were focused on her actions after the laughter. She did not get convicted for laughing. It was her actions as she was being asked to leave. The jury for a person told HuffPost at the time. Judge Morin said those interviews were irrelevant. Counsel, you know that's not admissible, Morin told Paschal. He then ordered a new trial. Feyruz told HuffPost it was absurd, ridiculous, and a waste of tax dollars that she may have to go to trial again. A spokesman for the U.S. Attorney's Office for the District of Columbia declined to comment on whether the government planned to retry the case. For a little giggle in the Sessions hearing, it's outrageous, Feyruz told HuffPost. I think they're harassing me. It's awful. Feyruz said she had been hoping that the judge wouldn't give the government another chance to bring it to trial. Why I got to this point, I don't understand, she said. News of Feyruz's prosecution went viral after it was first reported by HuffPost. The international news coverage sparked jokes by late-night comedians, including Stephen Colbert, and attracted the attention of Representative John Coyers, Democrat from Michigan, the ranking member on the House Judiciary Committee, in a letter to the judge, Conyers wrote that substantial questions exist with respect to the application of law in Feyruz's case and asked for leniency. 
As a ranking member of the House Committee on the Judiciary, I take seriously breaches of decorum in Congress, Conyers wrote. However, in this instance, the finding of guilt under these particular circumstances raises questions that should counsel leniency with regard to sentencing. Uh, Tig uh, Barry and Lenny Bianchi, two protesters, tried alongside Virus for their actions at a hearing while dressed up as members of the KKK, were sentenced on Friday to 10-day suspension, meaning they likely won't serve any jail time unless they violate the conditions of their six-month unsupervised probation. Restrictions were placed on their access to Capitol Hill. And it's interesting how folks who are uh, mocking the KKK get arrested, and actual KKK members don't. There was the the big march in, or they tried to make it a big march in Charlottesville uh, recently, and many folks came out to protest that, and it was the people protesting the event who were arrested, not the KKK. So again, if you want to find this article, you can check out Huff, Huffington Post. That's where it has been. Um, that's where it's. That's where it is. That's where you can find it. And again, it was written by uh, Ryan J. Riley, and it came out very recently on the 14th, which is today. Great. So we're going to take a bit of a music break, and we'll be joined by Natasha Dunnerstein in just a little bit. So stay tuned, and here is some more music. I hope you'll enjoy.
Hello, and welcome back to the Weekly Review. Joined here by Natasha Dennerstein. Natasha, thank you for being here. Hi, thank Hi. you. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we have a whole, we have a lot of time to talk about many things. Oh, goody, and goody. I know you're a, you're a poet and a, a great person in the community. So we can, we can start off, if you'd like to talk about yourself or your experiences in the world, we can do that. Yeah, I would. Um, Roman, I started out as a poet in Australia and New Zealand, where I'm from, and I was not particularly uh, out about being trans. I wasn't hiding. Mm -hmm. I was kind of hiding in plain view. Like, I never particularly mentioned it because I didn't... I saw people that got really pigeonholed. Like, Mm -hmm. I was a poet, and that's kind of like almost like a religion, being Mm -hmm. a poet. Mm -hmm. I I believe so strongly in it. And I didn't want to be like... The, t- the trans poet or Natasha the, the tranny poet or something like that because I saw that happen there was you know the Chinese poet the old poet the um, Pacific Islander poet you know people got very easily pigeonholed and I knew that that's what would happen so I really tried to um, earn my chops or get a reputation as a legitimate poet and and then my um, ultimate game, evil game plan yes. was to reveal myself more openly. And th- actually, that is what's happened when I came to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had already had um, po- poetry published internationally to a degree, and I felt, okay, now's the time. And then I kind of fell in with Nomadic Press, that's a very inclusivist and open organization, and it was just the right time to start writing trans poetry yeah well it's really great to have trans artists out there sharing our work and i think it's visibility is really important too to invisibility we... oh Did visibility the oh, visibility. yes yeah. yeah yeah i mean i think invisibility one can use that for good certainly and at yeah. the same time it's really crucial just to know that we're not alone especially for trans youth who grow up not necessarily knowing that they can exist in the world yes and you know Visibility is an issue that ties into the whole paradigm of um, violence against trans folk um, about this idea in the minds of some heterosexual cisgendered people that trans people are trying to fool them. You mm-hmm. see, it's, you know, it's all about that whole... Um, what was that f- a film or story? The Tina Brandon story. What was that oh, called? Oh, yeah, Boys Don't Cry. Yeah, which was a great film. But, you know, he was seen as um, tricking them yeah. by pretending to be a man and having sex with a woman and, uh, and, and then revealing himself. And that's the whole thing. That's why there's so much violence against trans people. Yeah. The whole idea that we're tricksters or shapeshifters or yeah. pretenders or... And it's also not centered on our feelings and our experiences. It's centered oh, on, no. I mean, much like many other things, it's centered on the other folks, the people in positions of power. They're mm-hmm. the ones who kind of spin the narrative into their their corners. So they say, oh, this is how I'm feeling. So therefore, it should be centered on my feelings as opposed to us. Yeah. Um, I, there's another whole aspect to that film and that story, which is toxic masculinity. And... Ugh. and how it's almost seen as a right 
and it ties into that whole gay defence thing of saying, oh, but I thought they were a, a man, I thought they were a woman, mm-hmm. uh, but they weren't. They were pretending and, and, and uh, you know, they made me gay. Yeah. Or they turned me into a faggot by tricking me, therefore yeah. I killed a motherfucker. Yeah. And the judge says, oh, well, let's understand, well, it's all right, you can have six months probation. Mm-hmm. And it's still going on. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's disgusting. It is disgusting. You know, it's, there's a, an entrenched power system uh, that protects men and their uh, fragile sexual identity from mm-hmm. being hoodwinked or yeah. gypped. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, so many uh, trans women are murdered. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, definitely with the toxic masculinity and also that's kind of what, and I'm sure, not just this country, but many countries are founded on. Just this idea of, oh, you know, yeah. men coming in with their weapons and things have to be a certain way and enforcing yeah. the patriarchy and doing anything to keep them themselves in power. Mm-hmm. Um, can I read you a poem? Please. Which is not really about that, but it's about something else. Okay. Um. I want to read you an old poem of mine uh, that I was just looking at the other day. It's called The Cartographer's Mole. Mm. If I could draw a map of my heart, the raw regions exposed would be where strips of you were not wrapped. If I could draw a map of my brain, there would be tunnels and a labyrinth with false leads ending in you or not. If I drew a map of my body, those lumps would be bite marks left by you, my contours swollen with you. A map of my life would be crisscrossed with traces of you and covered in references to you and destinations we had been. Coordinates would indicate where you had been and wanted to go and the places where I wouldn't let you in. That map would cover vast areas of me and magnetic south would point to you and I would be facing true north. You have lain your rail lines across my ranges and my terrain has been forever changed. Mm. It's sort of like love as colonization. Mm. Relationships as ownership. Yes. What do you think about all that? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's also, um, I was thinking about recently just this idea of whether it's heteronormativity or monogamy and how it's kind of forced upon people and how... Or both. Yeah, yes. And how if we can't, not that we can treat every single person in this world equal, equally, but like how we have certain people who are closer to us that we might be give the benefit of the doubt to and spend more resources and time and energy on... Do you think that, um, you know, even in queer or non-straight relationships, there is still that paradigm of people owning and changing the people that they love? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Do you think that people that are woke, in inverted commas, still can go home and do that shit with their partners? Absolutely. I mean, I feel like so much of it is internalized. I think growing up in this culture, no matter 
what, no matter who you're raised by, whether or not you have any religious aspects, whether or not you try to avoid media, it's so indoctrinated in us. Like I myself see behaviors in myself that I might intellectually be opposed to, yet I still see myself enacting certain behaviors, whether it's jealousy or fear of the other, whatever that may be, or fear of scarcity in a way. And at times that intellectually I know is incorrect and against everything I believe in, yet I see myself sometimes some certain situations and acting the very thing that I'm opposed to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, but I think in this and in so much other stuff, the first step is to acknowledge it. And the second step is to be open. And the third step is to start trying to change. And, you know, it's, it's even the admission that, you know, maybe my thinking, Oh, attitudes or behavior need some correction here. That's that's the that's the key. Mm-hmm. So many of yeah. us say, "No, I don't want to be like that. No, I don't want to fucking change. I don't yeah. want to." Do, yeah, you know? and I think the older we get, in general, the harder it is. I think kids tend to be more adaptable and open. Yeah, and I feel like the older we get, there's just the fewer possibilities there are just to be to experiment and to have different ways of being. I think once we grow up, there's maybe certain expectations that we place on ourselves and on each others to maintain a certain identity or, or to be a certain way and it, it's sometimes difficult to act out of that or to change yeah do you know um can i tell you an example in myself uh relatively recently mm-hmm. where i had this you know i had this strongly internalized binary kind of paradigm that I hadn't really looked at and I didn't really know that I had it Mm -hmm. but uh, because I battled so hard to establish an identity as female Mm -hmm. um, I realized that I had internalized all these things about women should be like this and men Mm -hmm. should be like that Mm -hmm. and um, you know what kind of triggered it for me was meeting and being involved with a lot of people who were non-binary or as an identity. And it really kind of pushed my buttons. I didn't realize it. And I thought, you know, why am I, you know, finding this concept so difficult and uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. you know? And it made me try and think about it and change my thinking and open my mind a bit to it and talk to people. And then, you know, slowly I've come around more to um, appreciating and understanding a, a, a less binary um, structure. Yes. Yeah, I feel like I can identify with that, certainly. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not healed yet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I think healing is a continual, continuing process. Do you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, I mean healing is not necessarily linear, and just like progress isn't. You know, there's always there's backlash and or there's... Some days are better than others. Can you have relapses? Oh, yeah. I think like with anything else. And it'd be nice if everything could be compartmentalized and healed. And uh... Is there a treatment program, Dr. Reimer? Oh, sure. I'll start one. <laughs> I think just... I'll prescribe you one over yeah. mine. I think just talking <laughs> things out is helpful and being in community and being able to listen to others and to, to voice one's opinion. Because as you said, you know, unless we actually talk about it, then it's, it's easy to kind of keep a lot of things inside. Yeah. Um, I do think so. 
Um, I noticed on your program just what I was listening to before, before I came in, that, you know, a lot of your focus, and I've heard you speak before, is on, um, you know, standing up for people that are protesting and pointing out, shining the light on um, uh, state-sanctioned violence mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And oh, yeah. Is that your major focus? Um, have a lot of focuses. I mean, injustice, which is, I mean, that's pretty broad. And I think if we can check out, look into like the system, the systems that are in place, look at systemically what's problematic and also historically what's been problematic. And a lot of the guests I've had on the shows over the years, whether they are into social justice or environmental justice, there seem to be similar oppressors, which happen to be state violence. It's police or FBI yeah. um, going in and either infiltrating and or literally attacking people, arresting people, murdering people. And that seems to be common around the world. Yeah. Um, when I was 16, uh, I had run away from home because I was sort of a cross-dresser kind of person and uh, I wasn't, uh, my father couldn't deal with that. This was in Australia where I came from. Mm -hmm. And I ended up with drug problems and I'm very open about this and I ended up as a... Uh, uh, prostitute and uh, street worker and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. When I was 16, I worked on the streets to make money to survive and um, I was picked up in a car by a guy and then he drove around and in the back seat was another guy mm -hmm. who, I, who was hiding in the back seat who I think was his brother or cousin. They looked similar. Yeah. And... Um, they took me to a park and had sex with me and beat me up and um, obviously didn't give me money that, you know, he, the guy had picked me up as a client, as a John. And um, so I was pretty badly beaten up and abused and um, in, you know, a terrible condition with blood and torn clothing and limping around and I went to the police station mm -hmm. and I said I've been um, raped yes and the police um, looked at the policeman at the front desk there looked me up and down and laughed and said what do you expect going around dressed like that like a fucking circus clown and um, and he called his buddies from the back oh look what we've got in here and they all came out and had a good laugh at me. So, uh, you know, it was very clear that, A, they didn't think a person dressed, as they say, provocatively, work, walking on the street, um, was able to be raped because they were inviting that kind of attention, and uh, that there was no um, protection or justice for me mm -hmm. because of who and what I was. And... Um, you know that guys, young guys out for a bit of fun on a Friday night, they can get away scot-free. And so I internalized those messages. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I only realized years um, with hindsight that I had been raped a lot because I just thought, oh, well, that's kind of par for the course. You know, it took me, uh, you know, until years later then I, that I realized that, you know, no means no and that, um, I think that, and you know, younger trans women that are in the sex industry these days, they still go cop with the same 
stuff. I don't think much has changed. In some yeah. ways, a lot has changed, but in many ways, nothing's changed. Yes, yes. Yeah, and I think that um, I don't like police. Sorry. <laughs> D- don't apologize to me. That's kind of a theme of the show. Uh, well, I yeah. think that they, they can be bullies and yes. that they are often high school bullies that mm-hmm. grow up and join the police force because yes. they can go and... Continue to be a bully. Push people around. Yeah. And there's more women in the police force, but they can be bullies too. Absolutely. Anyone can be a bully. It doesn't happen to be... I mean, I've been seeing some stories around of trans women cops and there's been a lot of fighting in the within the trans community at least like on the some of the websites whether it's you know trans professionals or other stories and many of us are like you know there's not it's not nothing we would be proud of yes we want to support everyone who's trans and at the same time taking part in a system that's so oppressive and has been historically oppressive especially to the trans community it's I think there's this idea that people want to change it from the inside and I think a lot of us are hesitant to believe that that's possible um Although in an ideal world, if there was a trans police officer, then in in a liberal place like San Francisco, Mm -hmm. for example, um, if they had a trans offender, in inverted commas, or they brought in a trans person who was alleged to have broken law, um, they can speak to that trans police officer who hopefully would be more empathetic and more understanding Mm -hmm. and less kind of punitive. Um, and if that worked, you know, that would be a good thing. I, d- I don't know. Are there trans yeah. police officers in, in there are California? Oh, yes, there are. There's one in San Diego. There's definitely at least a couple here in San Francisco. A couple? Yeah. You'd think in San Francisco there should be a dozen. Yeah, and there may be more. I don't uh, I Well, don't there could the be trans men hiding, yeah. pretending to be yeah. I mean, that's real men. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody knows. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, too, though, is that I find it's really wanting to focus on the fact that it's systemically a problem, that the profession is systemically a problem. Yeah. And so it's like you give anyone, you give me some power and then I could see myself either abuse it. Like it's difficult, I think, to be put in that kind of position and then to expect people to be treated equally if that entire profession is based on filling quotas and arresting people. It's not, the idea is that cops are here to protect, quote unquote, protect and serve us, yet they also end up having to arrest people or choosing to arrest people and fill up the jails. Yeah. 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 I think the whole system is sick. The the policing system, the arresting system, the legal system, the um, detention system, the revolving door aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Once you're branded an offender, basically your life is sent on a trajectory that there's very it's very hard to change from the whole thing about felons not being able to vote felons not being able to get passports it's mm-hmm. crazy it doesn't make sense yeah it's crazy it's like going around and painting certain people in the world oh you're one you're one you're one and then you know that's it you're you're fucked you can't yeah. ever recover from this yeah. you're a bad uh, and that's it. You're out of the the game. Mm-hmm. And it's starting younger and younger. We're seeing yeah. cops being sent to schools 
to secu- security guards instead of counselors for kids there they send in cops instead and so it starts off really young and there's a whole thing of the the school to prison pipeline it's a real thing uh-huh. Uh-huh. <sighs> so yeah. yeah yeah it um yeah prison is uh never helps anyone really i mean except for a very small few percentage of people that commit crimes of violence or sexual abuse crimes or um, crimes against children that really need to be sheltered somewhere Mm -hmm. where they can't harm others but you know the majority of people are in jails and prisons for drug and firearms Mm -hmm. charges or sex work yeah. And, yeah. and things that I, I personally believe shouldn't even be criminalized in the first place. And yeah. you have like crim- war criminals out there like Dick Cheney and Karl Rove and people who are weapons manufacturers, people who are actively harming people on a global scale and they're not in prison. Mm-hmm. So that's part of like my just having a lot of frustration with it. The fact that there are people, dangerous people. It's not like all the dangerous people are in jail. There's dangerous people who are out of jail who can, because of their wealth and their place their place in society they can get away with whatever they want they can be elected uh-huh. president and they can be unharmed yeah it's true <sighs> it's always always an upper show here at the weekly review is it <laughs> yeah occasionally it's a little bit more humorous but more often than not i mean when we talk about these things and i appreciate being able to find humor in really tragic situations because it's one way of hopefully coping with it and at the same time, it's it's serious, so it's hard to. It can be hard to to laugh about. True, I went to an interesting panel the other day. You possibly uh, heard of it. It was a panel about queer spaces, and it was at oh, Strat. Oh, cool! Were you there? I wasn't. No. I, that sounds great, though. Yeah, it was. Um, it was interesting. Um, the people there were Juliana Delgado Lopera from mm-hmm. Radar, Pro- Radar Productions. Mm-hmm. Do you know her? Mm-hmm. And, Not personally, um, but I know the name. Yeah. Uh, Honey Mahogany, the drag queen, who's also part owner of the Stud mm-hmm. Bar. And um, 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 Love Monster. I forget their first name, but they are arrange um, queer pa- dance parties and things like that. And then the moderator of the panel was Heklina from the oh, Oasis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was a very spirited... Um, <laughs> I bet. Yeah. That sounds, I'm very interested to hear about it. Yeah. I don't know that anything was resolved, but there were there was a lot of talk about the importance of having queer spaces and uh, importance of having places that queer people can go and you know feel comfortable yeah. and uh and also some grief about the um closure of certain places oh yeah yeah i mean especially san francisco in the 90s compared to what it is now it seems like yeah. a completely different city yeah it was an interesting discussion i'm sure you would have enjoyed being there did you yeah. you didn't hear about it no i didn't oh, oh. yeah it was like you know a public forum mm-hmm. about you know um, creating and maintaining queer spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very important. Yeah. Can I read you another poem? Please do. Um, 
It's a poem about Eileen Warnos. Oh, yes. Yeah. Have you heard me read that? Yes. Um, at the, was that at Alley Cat Books? Maybe. Had, yeah. Shall I read it again? Yes, or shall please. I read something different? Oh, definitely read that one. I And that film, Monster, I was, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah, it was, that was problematic, but it was interesting, but yeah. it was problematic, that film. Mm-hmm. Um, Serial Eileen. Because you tied me face down on the red back seat of your Cadillac Seville in Volusia County and took away my power and made me float above myself and watch like some scuzzy bird, a pigeon, because no fucker would give me a job, not even waiting tables, so I had to turn tricks on the highway, and because you had that twenty-two in the glove compartment waiting there just for me, I shot you. Because the rubbing alcohol. Because you had that cheesy mustard polo shirt with a little guy on a horse with a golf club that said stuff to me about a world I would never understand because everyone said, you don't belong here. Because Edgewater, Florida. Because you can stick your golf club up your ass. Because you said 100 in Brevard County, but you only gave me 50, and how am I supposed to pay the motel for me and my lady with 50? And there was 300 in your wallet. Thanks for that. Because in Daytona you smelt like Listament, like my grandfather, and you had those ugly tombstone choppers, probably dentures. Because you didn't rape me in Suwannee County, but you were gonna, given half a chance. Because it was a defensive, preemptive strike, Your Honor, like the natural world, eat or be eaten. Yeah. You like that one? Yeah, it's I know it's it's uh, it's it's tough. It's a tough poem. I like it. I was very interested in Eileen Warnos. Mm-hmm. Perhaps one could say obsessed, mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, you know what disturbed me was I kind of totally got her. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I thought, why do I get this woman? And you know what? After uh, following her, not the Hollywoodized version, but the real mm-hmm. version of yeah. her, her real life. Um, watching all the documentary footage and reading all the interviews and what have you, I um, realised, well, you know, she's been abused from a young age. Um, she's been fetishised as a woman. She's been um, taken advantage of. She's been traded stuff for her body or her sexual favors from a very young age, like as a kid. Mm -hmm. And um, she has been othered and she'd been, um, you know, branded by the um, system as being a failure. And she had been, you know, taken advantage of, devalued, to the point where she broke mm-hmm. and she, um, you know, just, just fate landed her somewhere where there was a weapon and there was a, another abuser and she just said, bam. And I think that um, then, you know, a chain of events ensued during which process she lost her grip on reality and you know there was some paranoia there and Mm -hmm. um 
but I think that happened at the at the end after she was incarcerated. She um, kind of lost it, lost her. She didn't know what was real anymore, and mm-hmm. she she kind of thought that people were watching her in the walls, etc. But then I think that she kind of backtracked that and said, oh, she was aware that she was under surveillance. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I think she kind of knew what she was doing when she mm-hmm. um, killed all those guys. Yeah. And how, um, I've, I think I've seen one of the documentaries and I did see the, the feature film and I'm curious as to what were the differences between the, um, from, since you have a better understanding, yeah. I've done more research on it, what did you find about the film to be problematic? It's been a long time since I've seen it. Um, I think, you know, I had a problem with Charlize Theron being cast as the um, as um, Eileen because she was too pretty and privileged. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, she did a good job. She <laughs> really acted well and they kind of changed her appearance to make her look more like Eileen. But, you know, Eileen was kind of pretty rough. Mm-hmm looking mm-hmm. and and Charlize was like a a, a model She's dressed a model, up yeah. as, a, as a rough person you know yes. I mean she did it okay but the main real real problem was the casting of Christina Ricci yeah. as the girlfriend she was totally wrong and totally unbelievable and totally changed the dynamic mm. um the real girlfriend um, doesn't look at all like that. The real hmm. girlfriend is more physical type like Eileen okay. and, and a pretty rough kind of mm. girl from the, from a, 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 a um, difficult background. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that Christina Ricci played it like a little girl, there was something like there was an age and size difference mm-hmm. where it appeared – that the Eileen character in the film was maybe some kind of abuser because Christina, even though she's like 30 or something at the time, or maybe, I don't know, maybe 25, I I don't know, she seemed like a child and Eileen was this big... I can see that. Yeah, it Hmm. just changed the dynamic Hmm. and um, they weren't equals. There were, you know, and there was the awful kind of feeling or maybe... Eileen's enacting her, the abuse that's perpetrated onto her, uh, onto mm-hmm. this poor innocent young girl. It's just mm-hmm. the way she looked, really. Yeah, yeah. She was slight and small and mm-hmm. childlike. Even though I don't know how old. When was that film made? About two thousand. Mm, yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe a little bit after two thousand three, maybe. Yeah, Ish. and they didn't really make it clear. Um, the film didn't really come down on the side of Eileen or against Eileen. It didn't really say, well, she, she's guilty or she's not guilty. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of, it kind of intimated and beat around the bush mm-hmm. a little bit. It didn't really illuminate the story. Yes. Um, yeah, the film kind of incensed me a little bit. And it, it caught, I guess the film kind of caused me I mean I knew about Eileen and I um but the film kind of caused me to say, to ask myself why did why did she do it why did she yeah retaliate in such a vicious way and um it made me go back and I thought oh well because of this and because of that and because and that's why I wrote that piece mm-hmm. with all those because it's what well, because this is what happened 
because I was excluded, because, um, yeah, I kind of like um, how that poem developed out of that. Um, do you think that's a legitimate way to write poetry, um, doing research yeah. and using the research to... I think that's awesome. A source yeah. material. I don't know. Yeah. Like when I read it, I thought, you know, I really like this, but I don't yeah. know if it's that original. Like I've, oh. you know, I've, I've snaffled up things from Wikipedia and the web and documentaries and put them in a poem. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of art is that, you know, looking to other so. resources and then, you know, putting our own spin on it and re maybe either not quite repackaging it, but maybe just consuming it and then putting it out into the universe with our own, through our own filter. Oh, that's the Lady Gaga doctrine. Oh, yeah? Oops. <laughs> that was unintentional. <laughs> no, but she often says that in interviews oh, and stuff. Nothing's original. <laughs> everything's up for grabs. Wow. You know, uh, she, I think when she was accused of sampling Madonna and that, she mm -hmm. said, ah, well, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. It yeah. doesn't matter. You know, mm -hmm. I took bits of this and bits of that. Yeah. Repackaged, redefined, yeah. recreated. Nothing's original. Everything's referenced. Mm -hmm. Everything's sampling um i mean yeah. I, th I also think that at this point we've been around humans have been around for so long and what's the, the saying that the uh i'm going to paraphrase it the idea is that uh everything that needs to be said has already been said but yeah. since nobody was listening we have to say it again i think that's true yeah yeah i think that's true yeah um, what else should we talk about? Oh, there's so much. We can also yeah. take a bit of a music break, too. Why don't we do that? All right, great. Oh, what are you going to play? I'm going to play a song by The Coop. I was um, background in... Uh, so Boots Riley is filming a new film uh -huh. called Sorry to Bother You. And so it was really cool to be on set. So I feel like it's always interesting just to be on set and then also to be familiar with the director's work as, a, as an activist and a musician. So I thought I'd play a couple songs from uh, his band, The Coop. Oh, please do. All right. So the first one is called The Guillotine, and we'll be back in just a bit. Thank you for flying with us. 
We know you could have stayed home, just cried and cussed. Me or your guns go off if it's time to bust. Me or they tanks have time to rust. They got the army turning bullets into gold. They got the hookers turning tricks into coal. And every time the police kicks in the dough, an angel gas breaks dips in the O. And even if a D-boy flips in my O, it ain't enough to buy shit anymore. Sleep in the doorway, piss on the floor. Look in the sky, wait for missiles to show. It's been a blow, cause they got the TV, we got the truth. They own the judges, and we got the proof. We got hella people, they got helicopters, they got the bombs, and we got the, we got the, we got the Shake them up and then you know Let them off the float and bait them with the 
slap them up and shake them up and then you know Let them up the flow and bait them with the dough You can do it funk or do it disco on the turf debating how to get it percolate. He working you while we happy just to work a day. But I'ma slap him till my blood starts circulating. Do your checks have elasticity? Did they cut off your electricity? Did you scream and yell explicitly? Force the boss into complicity. I'm a white chalk stencil, but I push a pencil. Rolling dope fiend rentals to your residential. Broke his fuck eating lentils with no utensils. Finna teach pimp class with a whole credential. Sweatshops, pet cops, and fields of cola. Murder babies with their molars on the areola. Control the Pope, Dalai Lama, holy rollers, and the Ayatollah. Bump this rolling in your bucket or your new Corolla. You might catch me on the scenic route with my penis out. Yelling twice for the executives with the meanest mouth. Wanna know what this demeanor's about? City try to clean us out. Greenish clouds, shut them down. I ain't never seen a drought. In the field, they ain't calling you back. For the record, I ain't called it a guy. But tuck this in the small of your back. Waiting the bathroom stall till the tap. the weekly review that was the coop with the key teen and five million ways to kill a ceo it's always helpful to remember that oh. <laughs> <laughs> some food for thought there yeah 
And so, the other one was uh, guillotine, guillotine. Yeah, bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Chop their heads off. Yeah. I mean, uh, I get that the long term is education, and in the short term, people are fighting for their lives. So, yeah. Let's, I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> Can yeah. I read you another poem? Yes, please. Okay. It's called Love Me. I'm fake. Mm. My hair is cotton candy, my skin resurfaced. I have been mani-pedied and buffed. My ensemble's a designer. I have a re-virginated vagina, and my nose is a job. I live in a faux storefront of Hollywood Main Street facade, absolutely nothing behind it. This is California, motherfuckers. Appearance is everything, and good lighting, the higher power. Mm. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we live in a fake world. Yes. And I mean, I'm, I am concerned with my appearance, and I put selfies on Instagram all the time. It's kind of an addiction. Mm. It's kind of, I, I don't watch TV, so I, I, I use Instagram and Facebook. Um, but, you know, it's a fake appearance-oriented um, world that we're living in. Yes. And, um, you know, in some ways it's, it's hard to fight against the pressure to kind of edit your life and present it in a certain way, especially on social media. Yeah. You know? And I'm guilty as the next person. I, I don't like to tell people, oh, I'm feeling fat today or, oh, I feel depressed or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm really bloated or I've got an injury. For, you know, um, I want people to say, oh, look, I'm all dressed up and I'm going out living my fabulous mm. queer um, social literary life with my perfect relationship, mm. but that's not true. But I still want to show that. Interesting. I have like the opposite effect where I very rarely, like, I, I'll, I'll take a selfie like once every few months, maybe. Yeah. And then, like, so if other people take photos of me, that's cool. I like that. But I, it's hard for me to put myself out there. And also, if something positive happens to me, this is, a, I mean, how it's been for a while. I've just, I'm reluctant, and I don't know if it's I don't want to jinx myself or I don't want to brag. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think that's part of it. Like, I don't, I don't want to brag. I don't want to be like, oh, look at me. Look what I'm doing while all these terrible things are happening in the world. That's part of it. Like, if the rest of the world, everything was fine, then oh, I think I'd is be that, more. Is that like um, Jewish survivor guilt? Sure. That Well, I mean, I got that. I mean, ancestrally, I got it, so that would yeah. make sense. Oh, like there we oh, go. Oh, I should. That was I quick. should be happy. I should be happy. Oi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm happy. What's wrong? Yeah. <laughs> like, why is this? What's happening next? Uh, uh, yeah, that yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I can't show people pictures mm. of me eating these fresh, juicy peaches because you know, poor people out there are not even able to afford McDonald's or a can of beans. And sure. Yeah. Oh, I I'm, I'm eating out. This is a this is a, like splurging, or this is an expenditure that could be spent helping someone else. Yeah. So, yeah, I kind of have that 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 opposite thing where it'd be nice to maybe balance it a little bit more. Um, what do you think of the Kardashians? I don't think of them. 
Uh, do you know who they are? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> as much as I've tried to avoid them, yeah. Do you think that they're toxic for children? Sure. I mean, I feel like police are probably more toxic for children than socialites, but yeah, I would say. Well, I don't know. You know, how about um, prepubescent girls that kind of grow up looking at these constant exposures of mm-hmm. these photoshopped, uh, enhanced, surgically enhanced, airbrushed, contoured mm-hmm. um, images of women who actually look nothing like um, in, in life. They look nothing like what they purport to. Mm-hmm. And then these young girls uh, grow up holding them up for as an ideal yeah. of beauty and develop eating disorders yeah. and self-harm and poor self-esteem yes. and self-injury because yeah. they can't live up. Yeah. Do you, don't you think that is really dangerous? dangerous? Oh, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, that's okay. Oh, it's, yeah, I think it's very dangerous. And then also the fact that young women, for lack of a better, I'm also super non-binary in terms of my thinking, but like for mm-hmm. young young women. Young people. Young people, the idea that somehow your appearance is more tied into your self-worth than anything, not that it should be tied into our pro- productivity, because that's also problematic, but the idea that somehow how we look is more important than our behavior is is deeply, is a big problem. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, we're talking about this on radio, which is good. Mm-hmm. Um, I like radio a lot. I really like it a lot. I'm not quite sure why, but I really like radio. I actually prefer it to television. But um, social media, which rules so much of our lives, um, is very visual, visually based. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very visually based. Yeah. And um, so there is an emphasis on how things look. Right, right. You know. That's a good point. And, you know, and on Instagram, we have all these filters where you can apply filters to make things take away the sharp edges, to take away the lines, to take away the harsh lighting, Mm -hmm. to make everything rose-tinted. Hmm. Or to have things look like... uh, retro uh old school photography or to to mimic kind of um hollywood lighting and things like that hmm you're not into all that are you um am i into it let me think about it. my honestly my mind was like going into a different place for a little bit when you maybe because you don't you don't you're not on instagram i'm not on instagram oh yeah. you're not oh right <laughs> oh you're you wouldn't know what i'm talking about uh, can i read another poem yes instead? please okay <laughs> <laughs> no, you wouldn't know what the filters <laughs> mean. Here's, I, I write, I'm obsessed with cinema. I've written a lot about cinema oh, yeah. and cinema-themed yeah. things. Here's one. How on the silver screen of her dream, matinee idols in cloaks of darkness swoop down like bats and do unspeakable things to hapless maidens in gowns of velvet, curtains and pelmets. How warriors in helmets, sandals and swords wreak terrible vengeance. How gods are invoked. How she manages to be ravaged just out of frame. How cads are to blame the evidence Hovering in the corner, ripped bodice, discarded scarf, dropped suede glove, bottle of hard liquor lying on its side, contents leaked like tears. 
How she pursues those bad, bad boys, those laconic mechanics, those hard-working farmhands, those dapper gents and sure-footed dancing princes, those articulate diplomats and sons of captains of industry. How she settles for chain-smoking clerks, unemployed drag racers and actors working as waiters. How they usually leave when the going gets rough. How she wonders if there is something wrong with her. How she is suddenly 30, then even more suddenly 40. How the squalls of babies drive her mad. How the smell of diapers makes her sick. How she ends up semi-comatose, Xanaxed in front of the TV, watching Ellen and Turner classic reruns of Pretty Lady. And how she wonders what the hell happened to her life. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I also grew up really into into film, and I think it also, I pre, in some ways, it is an escape. Yeah. And then on, on the other hand, it is this kind of looking into other people's lives and other people's. What worlds. kind of films were you attracted to mm. as a youngster? Definitely more like indie films. Like I think from a young age, I was not into action movies, and still am yeah. not. I can't really deal with violence. Uh, not that I didn't watch, like, for instance, Quentin Tarantino, but, like, I was not really into... Oh, I love war, those films. I was, like, not into war movies. Like, films that are well-written, the few films that have, you know, strong female characters I like, uh, films that have a message, if there are queer characters, again, you know, few and far between. Three-dimensional queer characters, I should say. Um, yes, and often the ones that are are really tragic, like Boys Don't Cry. Yeah, that, that was a really powerful movie. That yeah, that was like the first time I think I saw uh, someone who was transmasculine. Yeah, and it was like, and they oh. had to fucking kill him. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's it was it almost I think made me not want to because I definitely had that awareness at that time in my life that oh I definitely ident- I don't identify as female, and at the same time I didn't know what my options were, and yeah. then to see a film like that, it was like. Oof, this oh is, yeah, you can do this, do this, but you'll get killed. Right. But, you know. So it's like, oh, maybe I won't do this. Like honestly, that's how it was, and that that is. On one hand, I'm grateful the film was made, and on the other hand, it it definitely did do some damage. Yeah, yeah. I I saw it when it first came out, and then I saw it kind of ten years later mm-hmm. at the Castro, and it I saw it very differently. Yeah. Um, um, when you say you're influenced and, and, and attracted to indie films, mm-hmm. and you mentioned Quentin Tarantino, what mm-hmm. other films did you like? Oh, um, and I don't. And going back, like his films are deeply problematic. So I also like. Yeah, they are. So it's not like I'm like, oh, I'm a big fan. I think also when Pulp Fiction came out, that was like '94. So I was, it was like 13 pretty or good 14. stylistically. It was really sure. good stylishly. The the way it was photographed and filmed, right? Like it was almost. Um, the material didn't really matter in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was really into I was really into Kenneth Branagh back when I was like Kenneth into, Branagh as an actor. Yeah, as a direct actor and director. Yeah, like, oh, wow. this is when I was like in junior high and high school. So this is going way back to twenty years ago, more than twenty yeah, years ago. I was already a grown ass woman <laughs> then, <laughs> so I'm a bit embarrassed by oh, that. Oh no! And but, what were some of the films? Because I can't remember, but I've seen them. But. Well, Dead Again was one of my favorite movies. Dead Again. Mm-hmm. Is with Emma Thompson, who is also a really yeah. big fan, and she is great. She politics. was his wife at the time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I thought they were a very attractive couple. Yeah, yeah. Well, what were some of the other ones? Because I mean, he had a big moment, didn't he? As like mm-hmm. the actor's actor, but it didn't last for long. No, it didn't. Um, I mean, I think with uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, I think that oh, was yeah. it. Nineteen ninety four. That just kind of was a big disappointment. I think 
critically and commercially. Not that that should determine, oh. not that commercially that should determine someone's, you know, ability. But I think at that point, kind of, there was a lot of hype about it and it didn't quite pan out as yeah. many folks would have liked. Um, <clears throat> I am fascinated with the Frankenstein story mm. and um, I really love the concept of um, the monster being composed of bits and parts of other people mm. and how <clears throat> that strikes fear into the souls of others and how um, the monster um, is so threatening and the whole idea of does the monster that's composed of bits and pieces of other people have a soul, mm. you know, mm. and where does the soul reside? That's a great and all question. those things, I think, and there, I think that um, there's a link between the Frankenstein myth and um, some aspects of the trans experience. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. We're monsters, baby. Mm. <laughs> Um, People you know, are afraid of us. Elena Rose talks about that a lot. You know Elena. Oh yes, yes. yeah. She does. So she she talks about the feminine, uh, 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 the feminism of the monster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Mm. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's so yeah interesting how people view us, and again, it's you know they make it about them. Someone, a friend, had posted recently folks feelings about transparent the tv show and so yeah. a lot of oh, folks we can were, talk about that oh we can yes we yeah. can and you know a lot of folks are writing and i've seen i've seen them all and folks are writing you know very good critiques of it and things that were very problematic and cringeworthy and thankfully at least in the recent season and seasons they have become you know they've begun to hire more trans folks you know yes. actors producers writers yeah. and directors which is crucial and at yeah. the same but then also i think also with Hollywood, but going back to Monster, how do you accurately represent life in the Hollywood machine, which is very superficial and very rarely do people get represented in an in an accurate way when yeah. it's so it is fake and it is you have to also if you have you know fund people funding the film or the TV show and or if you're on TV and or if you have to get past censors, it ends up maybe watering it down to a degree. Mm-hmm if you need to sell it and just having, instead of just having an artist tell their story. Yeah. Um, can I read you another poem? Yeah. I'm not reading too many poems. No, no, no such thing. Oh, I'm a promiscuous poet. <laughs> Some people sleep around. I read around. Oh, that's great. Whenever anyone says, Oh, <laughs> Natasha, would you like to read? Oh, let me think about it for a moment. Yes. <laughs> but um, I don't, I hate the idea of, um, boring people or uh, overstimulating people with my poetry. They go, oh no, not more poetry. Uh, this one is called Acetate Love and it's an homage to Amanda Lepore. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, my synthetic Madonna with your nylon heart, acrylic liver and polyester face, Let me worship you with my plastic love. Let me place you on a lucite pedestal, shower you with transparent adoration, with all my rayon leisure wear soul. Let me drape you in diaphanous flammable lingerie of gossamer neon pink and spandex your buttocks with grace. 
Oh, my silicon angel, how your Kevlar body is your sequent canvas, how you embody the will to change, to recreate, to define ourselves, how you are Dr. Frankenstein and monster both. Watch as the villagers come to burn crosses before your astroturf door. Mm. Oof. Oof. <laughs> wow. Nice segue from yeah. our conversation yeah. about Frankenstein. Yeah. That reminds me of improv where you get a suggestion from the yeah. audience and then you kind of brainstorm all the things it represents or makes you think of. Yeah. And eventually, ideally, it all comes together uh, by the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll have an epiphany at the end. Yes. That's always yeah. ideal. <laughs> um, I am very interested in Amanda Laporte. Just, I, I kind of like... Um, Arlene Warnas, I kind of get her, mm-hmm. and I just I'm disturbed that I get her. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not disturbed. That I, I, I and I think I, I think I know what she's doing. I think I know what she's about. Yeah. But I may not. Mm-hmm. But I I think she's. Her life is performance art. Yes. It's yeah. a it's a piece of quite radical performance art. Mm-hmm. She's she's owned the. Um, plastic surgery and body modification um, and she's using it um, and creating something out of herself Mm. that's superhuman or beyond human what do you think? I don't know too much about her aside from photos I've seen Yeah. so I'm also of the opinion that people should be able to do with their bodies whatever they want without judgment from others Yeah. Um, and that's just my own that's my perspective on it I think people are simultaneously attracted and revolted by her. It's like because she, um, she, you know, the huge breasts and the huge buttocks and mm-hmm. the tiny waist and the, uh, and the big lips. Mm-hmm. I think it's really interesting. She, people have a really visceral response to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but apparently um, she's very nice. Well, that's good. Yeah, apparently she's good. very sweet and gentle. Everyone that I've ever seen or heard uh, that have met her or uh, mm-hmm. commenting on her on social media say the same thing. Oh, she's a really pleasant and sweet person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That is good to hear. We yeah. need more of that. And again, kind of goes back to the idea that if we cared more about how people behave as opposed to how people looked, we'd live in a different society. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It is true. Hmm. And um, what do you think about the idea <clears throat> that some people have uh, of trans folk being fake or being um, designer or being uh, fiddling with the uh, natural world <clears throat> or creating of themselves uh, a, a, a freak for fetishistic purposes of uh, what do you think about that? Oh, I mean the idea of fake I mean looking at I think capitalism is fake and the idea of going beyond humans and the society we live in is fake where this is maybe I'm jumping from A to C here but like this okay. idea of like bottled water for instance this yeah. idea of Buying things that are net, <laughs> buying things that are are natural or should be available to everyone, uh-huh. or this idea of the images that we're sold, whether it be makeup or clothes, the fact that we clothe ourselves every day and we kind of uh-huh. cover up who we are, that to me seems fake. Um, or 
drilling the earth for substances instead of using solar energy. Like yeah. so much of the way the world works is kind of contradictory to what's natural. Yes. And I feel like that's something more to concentrate on as opposed to what people do with their own bodies or how they present themselves. The world doesn't encourage us to be ourselves. It encourages us to, and that goes be. I mean, folks who are trans are, you know, we are who we are and it's not about what we choose to do or not to do physically. I think mm. the world we live in doesn't believe in, I think there's, it's a, there's a greater question and that's just the, the society that we live in as opposed to the individual. I want to know why so many trans girls and predominantly trans girls of color um, are predominantly younger ones are being killed. Is it because um, oftentimes they work in the sex industry where they're vulnerable to um, uh, guys with toxic masculinity issues that, that are simultaneously attracted to them and at the same time revolted well, to them? Like they're, they're uh, turned on by the idea of the, you know, the hybrid genre and uh, at the same time they feel shame and guilt and think that maybe uh, if they're attracted to uh, sucking a beautiful girl's dick um, that they uh, then might be a faggot. And, and, and she made me do it. She turned me on uh, mincing around pretending to be a woman but then really she had a dick which I didn't know about and so and I sucked it. Uh, um, uh, then I might be a faggot, so I'm going to fucking kill her. I think my first my first response is is white supremacy, and that's why you know trans women of color face they face transphobia, they face uh, racism. But some and of misogyny. the some of the killers and violent guys are uh, are not white. That's true. Some. Yes, that's true. And there's still we can say more specifically. There's anti-black violence. Um. Yes. So, I mean, that would be, so folks who are, you know, facing it on just different, you know, different layers of one's identity. Yeah. I mean, I think there is that, but I also think there's another issue um, that alongside, above and beyond, or, or, or alongside that, not above and beyond, uh, is poverty. And mm -hmm. I think that the more likely you are to be out walking the streets or appearing out... Um, the more likely you are to attract violence. Mm -hmm. And the more um, privileged you are, the more comfortable you are financially, um, the more um, layers you can put between yourself and the, and the real world. So you're, you're safer or less mm -hmm. at risk. Or, yeah, if you have more Therefore, options. Therefore, colored girls, girls of color, trans women of color are more, more likely out there. I mean, I'm sure that there's a racist element to it too. But there's that as well, crimes against... And, and often young trans women are thrown out of home by their yes. family. And yeah. So they're out there on the streets walking up and down in Daisy Duke cutoffs and wiggling their ass because mm -hmm. they, they want to attract Johns mm -hmm. um, to give them some money so they can eat. Yes. And I also want to... Um, I noticed that the phone was ringing and didn't oh. have a chance to uh, pick it up. So if you are listening, and I'm sorry we've missed your call, please do call back. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah, it's I get really engaged in these conversations and then don't. Oh, do we have callers to, calling? We in? can. Yeah, sometimes we see the phone ring, so it's it's four one five 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 zero zero five one one, and we'll be wrapping up in a little bit. But also wanted to provide the opportunity for people if you wanted to comment or ask any questions to to do call in. And I apologize for not not picking up. But there's a lot. There's a lot to discuss. 
And I think it is, you know, crucial when we talk about transphobia to also talk about the the intersectionality and to who's being mostly affected. And there have been a number of murders so far this year of trans women of color, as there have been in in previous years as well. And that's something else that needs to be talked about. And that's why I think it's really frustrating when Caitlyn Jenner is given this platform when there are so oh. many other folks with different experiences who really can actually speak to these issues. I mean, I feel like she does in some ways maybe more harm to the community than good. Uh-huh. And I, I guess I, I, mean, I don't like the idea of, you know, us pushing each other around, but that's a little bit different when there's someone with so much privilege. And something that, that makes me angry is that when people are angry about what she has to say and then they use transphobia against her. I feel like the similar thing with, with Chris Christie, for instance, you can be angry at someone for their behavior, but like talking about their bodies in a disparaging way isn't going to yeah. win any arguments. Yeah. And um, her latest um, thing is, um, I'm working on the inside with the Republican Party yeah. quietly to uh, put forward the platform for LGBTQ rights. I mean, she she she's new to trans life. She represents a certain aspect of trans life, which is a s- small minority, wealthy, which white. is fine. Yeah. Um, but she she needs to have a few years' experience of living uh, fully as a trans person in the public eye before she's qualified to speak on behalf of trans yeah. folk everywhere. But, you know, and others that have had much more experience and are much better at it and that are even, even they are less arrogant and they say, well, I'm only speaking for, from my perspective or the people I speak mm-hmm. to. People were far more qualified, like Laverne mm-hmm. and like... Janet know. Mark. Yeah, well, yeah, um, they're... I, I like them both, but and um, I'm thinking, you know, people like Julia Serrano, oh, yeah. who's here in San Francisco. She's got a wealth of experience and information, and mm-hmm. is extremely bright and well spoken. Nobody's ever asking her to for her opinion, are they? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or Janice Gutierrez, yeah, who you know called out President Obama years ago. Um, oh, yeah, about the yeah, deportations, yeah. and then people got angry at her, including yeah, yeah, some she's cis gay men. Yeah. yeah, and then now we see they've increased the deportations, and it's like if fo- folks had listened to her in the first place, you know, maybe we wouldn't be where we're at now. Yeah, is that why you got to be in your bonnet about Caitlin this morning because of her latest? Oh, she was she was like on say. the View, I think, and she, uh-huh. she was given yeah. like another yet another platform which she does not need, and I was on I was. The more time I spend on Facebook, the more depressed I get. And a friend had yeah. posted this article about it. And, you know, they were very, dis- you know, like, ugh, Caitlin, gross. You know, and we were like, yes, ag- in agreement, agree- we were in agreement of that. Mm-hmm. And then some other folks were, like, jumping on the thread and then saying some transphobic things about her. Yeah, and it's like, yeah. no, like, that's not, there's plenty of ways you can uh, talk about someone's behavior and hold them accountable for their actions yeah. without being transphobic and especially when it comes from within the it's like it's, the call is coming from within, within in the house you know, know it's like it's hearing i'm like for for gay folks do you not know who the fuck has been fighting for you all these years and who has historically uh yeah the only reason you can get married is because of folks who have been you know fighting back against cops and who have yeah. fought back against getting you know these people's basic it, it's, it's like this there's and i get that there's not we lost a whole generation in the 80s for instance yeah. and has ever since then we've lost so many folks who i think would have changed the the conversation and would have hopefully have 
raised another generation to be more understanding of our history, but we don't have, I think queer folks, we have a very limited history because we've lost so many people throughout That's the years. That's right. We were decimated. Like they, you know, where our ranks were mm-hmm. severely cut down. Yeah. So we, yeah, we don't, so especially a lot of young folks, we don't, they kind of, especially I'm meeting younger folks and I get really angry. Uh, you know, it's, it's like even folks who are maybe 10, 15 years younger than me where they don't understand that even in, like I said, also in some places you can get fired for being gay. You can't, you know, people used to get arrested for quote unquote cross-dressing. Yes, I know. Um, I only know the Australian version of that where you, you had mm. to, you, uh, it was something about underwear. Like, you know, you had to wear the underwear. If you wore, it was illegal for someone born male to wear a, a bra and panties oh. or, or, or for someone born female to wear boxer shorts or something like that. It was all so about the underwear, the technicalities so of it, which is just ridiculous. Oh. But, um, do you know, the thing with Caitlin sort of saying, I just read it this morning on social media, saying, don't you worry, folks, I'm working behind the scenes quietly and in a reasonable fashion to uh, change the Republican Party's things on the LGBTQ. In other words, the subtext to that is you're with your loud shouting and your outrageousness and your uh, lack of understanding about the workings of the real world are, are, are causing harm. Just leave it to me, mm. you know, let me take over. And, and because I'm, you know, someone that's listening mm-hmm. to and I'm, I'm, I'm the better yeah. uh, advocate for and, you than you are for yourselves. And I would, it's patriarchal, yes, is and it I, not? And I would almost make a correlation between the trans women who are in the police force, where you're taking yeah. part in a system that is deeply problematic and harming to marginalized folks. Yeah. I do see a connection there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Power, bullying, mm-hmm. abusiveness. Yeah. Um, Toxic masculinity yes. in all its forms. Yes. And I like oh. the idea of folks who, and I do feel like to some extent there are folks who can, who want to change it from the inside, and that's great. And in the, in the meantime, the, I feel like the real change comes from folks working outside the system. So, yeah. But I feel like we need folks everywhere they can get, you know, not just one or the other. But I do feel like I do want to support people who... I, I just am I'm more critical of folks who want to work within inside the system because it's the system itself is broken, or maybe not broken, but the, the saying is that the system is working as it's designed to, yeah. and that's why it's not good for the people. Um, somebody um, referred to me recently as a trans elder, and uh-huh. my first response um, reaction was that I was really offended. I was like, <laughs> I'm not that fucking old, but. Then I thought, oh, gee, that's a huge responsibility. I, I'm not a trans elder, I don't think. Um, I, I've just stayed alive. Mm. Um, so I guess in that way I am. But you can be old in years and not have learnt very much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we do see a lot of that, not necessarily in the trans, but just in general. Well, like, maybe I'm like that. I don't know. I might be. I mean, I'm constantly, I feel like every day I'm learning something new and like making mistakes and just, I mean, that's why I like talking with as many people as possible just to gain as many perspectives because we all have our own experiences and there's so much to gather and it's important that we not just have one narrative, but several narratives. Yeah. 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 But you know what? Universally and unequivocally, people are saying, we don't want Caitlyn Jenner speaking for us. That's true. <laughs> That's true. 
everyone is saying that. Yeah. I don't know anyone who's not saying it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Oh, God. If it, we, we need to get her ass to San Francisco and give her an immersion tranny boot camp training where we take her to Divas and... <laughs> Take it to Strat, or, uh, or maybe she could uh, visit some prisons and some jails where yes. she can speak with folks who've been incarcerated. Yeah, who you know haven't been born into the. And life she, that she can has. go into the Department of Social Security and chat to people that are waiting for hours and hours to get GA or mm-hmm. um, disability, and have been denied it and have applied several yeah. times and still don't get it. Um, she can talk to them or folks who are on the street. And folks are living on the who street. have been unable to secure employment because of their yes. uh, queerness or their transition status, um, she should talk to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or yeah. or she should go to jails that have um, special um, and prisons that have special incarceration policies for trans people where they're segregated and put Mm -hmm. into solitary confinement for 23 hours a day Mm -hmm. against the um the the international laws and stuff she should go there yeah and you know what she would say she would probably say oh well they shouldn't have been doing what they were Mm -hmm. doing to Mm -hmm. get in trouble in the first place which is what trying to survive (laughs) trying to steal enough money to buy a can of baked beans yeah yeah i mean i feel like there's also I can't. I've never been to Australia and, and New Zealand, so I can't speak to things there. Here, there's in this culture, there's a lot of victim blaming. Yeah. And I feel like that there's just this constant. Everyone, oh, it's the same there. It's, 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 it's yeah, it's the same there. I was reading this article in I think Psychology Today magazine the other day, and it was about how people get duped, and a lot of it, a lot of the what goes into the victim blaming is that we are afraid of seeing ourselves in the victims. Or the people who have been lied to, we were like, oh well, I would, I would, ne- this would never happen to me, and so therefore oh, yeah. we're more likely to say, to either not have sympathy or empathy for them because we don't want to necessarily relate to what they've been through because we see that our own, we see that vulnerability in ourselves and we don't want to admit that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Hi, it's International Val. <laughs> yeah, hey, we're on Val. air at the moment, International Val. Yeah. I've been reading some poems. Roman. Yeah. Well, um, so we're just about out of time here. Is there anything, any last words or last poem? Or oh, you also have a new book if you'd like to talk about um, that before we go. Uh, yeah. Well, the the new book is Seahorse, and mm-hmm. as I said, it's a sort of semi autobiographical, mm-hmm. but it's autobiographical, mm-hmm. um, trans narrative in poems, and it was at you know Nomadic Press. Um, is a really good press, and we're. Do you know much about Nomadic I've, I've Press? I've heard of them, but I don't know well, too much. Well, we're based in Oakland, but also Brooklyn, because um, J.K. Fowler, who started it off, oh yeah, came from Brooklyn, and then then he moved back over here. He's mm-hmm. actually from uh, Santa Rosa or somewhere like that, uh-huh. San Jose. Sorry, d- wrong direction. Um, originally, so he came back to the Bay Area. So, you know, we got branches in bo- on both coasts. We're by coastal, mm-hmm. yeah, and. Um, it's we are uh, producing a lot of collections of poetry, uh, novels, prose collections, chapbooks. We've got two journals a year, and the thing about um, Nomadic is it's an inclusivist press. Mm. I really believe in the the um, the 
st strategy and the um, underlying belief system is that to give voice to people who traditionally have found it difficult to mm. get published and get their their work out there. So that's what Nomadic does, and I think um, I, I work for them. <laughs> I, I'm pushing my own product, but it's you know it's a non-profit and it's uh, you know it's happening. It's a happening press, Nomadic, and um, yeah. So check it. You can have a look on the website nomadicpress.org oh great yeah. excellent that was my plug but you know I don't feel guilty because Roman because it's not for commercial gain yes plug yes yeah cool well thank you it's for the public good it is for the public good that's also <laughs> what we're about we're about critiquing people in positions of power who yep. abuse their authority as well as doing what we can for the public good amen yeah well thanks again so much for being here Thanks for having me. Sure. All right. Well, you've been listening to the Weekly Review, and uh, you can check out our archives at mutinyradio.fm. Coming up next is Women's Magazine with Global Val, followed by the Common Thread Collective. Hey, Global Val is it, amazing. Yes, yes, Val is. We are glad to all be here at the station together. Uh, so keep on listening to Mutiny Radio, and we're also going to be having a fundraiser for the station uh, coming up later this summer. I believe it's July 27th. We'll have more info on that uh, as the summer approaches. Uh, so yeah, we're in the summer. What am I talking about? Anyway, thank you all so much for listening. Natasha, thank you so much for being here, and we'll be back next week. So take care, everyone, and Bye. we'll be back soon. Bye. your approval, ladies and gentlemen, for your enjoyment.